Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from Rosemarie Swift, the founder of RMS. And I was excited to get Rosemarie on this podcast because she has a history that she can pull from to really kind of explore and expand upon this particular conversation about launching something new in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. So welcome with me, Rosemary Swift. Rosemary, it's nice to have you on the show. How are you, honey? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. So tell us a little bit about what RMS is, your brand that you founded. RMS. Okay. Well, I like to say it's Rosemary Swift. That's my initials. And it stands for also um, Real Makeup Secrets, because I've been a makeup artist for 10 million years. So I've got a lot of tricks. And it also stands for Right Mental State. And that is, uh, you know, a comment that some, a, a very famous photographer's wife has said, do you realize that also stands for right mental state? And I went, yes, I love that <laughs> because it's clean. Yes, <laughs> it's simple, cool, confident, clean. <laughs> and that's a big part of the DNA of the brand. But mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your background before coming up with this entrepreneurial endeavor. What did you do that led you to RMS? 
Well, I'm originally from Canada. We lived kind of on the on the mountains there in the wilderness, and we had a lot of you know fresh food, and you know we picked things from trees. We grew it ourselves, and and my mother never let us have sugar and soda pop and all soda pop. That's so Canadian to say that. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, I was brought up very very clean, so to speak, with whatever I put into our our mouths or even on our bodies. And um, so when I was about in my late teens. I started going around to, um, well, I'm going to say it, I went around to the strip clubs. This is back in the 70s, remember, because I'm quite a bit older now. I'm 68. And um, I started doing makeup on the dancers, and they didn't dance like they do nowadays. It was an actual burlesque show. So I started painting their faces, and before I knew it, I was asked to come and, and, and do magazine work. And from there, I moved from Vancouver to Toronto, did everything in Toronto, moved to Europe, worked in Europe for years, was in Miami as a catalog queen for years, and then ended up in New York. Well, it's a combination of growing up in Canada, in the woods, with a mother who insisted on clean food, and the makeup history sort of Mm -hmm. led you to RMS. So you are working with all these brands. You have been doing you know, catalog work, magazine work. You've done all sorts of things. Everything, yes. What makes you say, okay, I'm going to put this successful career on the shelf. I want to launch something else. Well, you know, it's funny. It kind of just was put in my lap Mm. because I was teaching the girls to eat healthy. I was teaching them not to have, you know, Coca-Cola and things like that and really helping them with some of their issues when it came to their health. I would bring in green juices. I would bring in organic salads. And uh, I got to know the girls so well. And having worked with Victoria's Secret, Uh you know, I branched out into dealing basically with skin, because these girls weren't wearing a lot of clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, they had they were scantily clad. I did the bikini shoots. I did the, you know, the lingerie shoots. And I just started putting two and two together. I'm thinking, okay, we're eating really healthy. These girls, their skin is beautiful. And it's youthful. And I had a history with some medical problems that I had. And I got a hair and blood analysis done. And they asked if I work in the cosmetic industry because I had so many chemicals in me. And I said, yeah, actually, I do. And so that was always sticking in my head as to why I ate correctly, why I wanted the girls to do everything as clean as possible at a very young age of working with them, because these girls are 16, 17, 18 years old. And from there, I just realized, you know, they were really listening to me. And so I started mixing up things. And the main impact, I have to honestly say, was guilt. I felt so guilty putting those chemicals on their face because I really do not believe that there is a synergistic relationship that is healthy between most chemicals, not all, and the skin. I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a skincare brand for these girls. And I thought, I'm not versed in skincare. I'm versed in color makeup. So I took the concept of skincare meets color, Mm-hmm. And I came out with my little pots of my product, started using it on the Victoria's Secret shoot because, you know, I would use all the other uh, uh, brands. And what would happen is it never looked as good as the skin on their bodies. I would put a little bit of jojoba oil on. I wasn't putting on baby oil and things like that that were petroleum based. So I've got this beautiful yellow oil called jojoba oil, which is closest to human skin. Mm-hmm. Put that on their legs, put that on their bodies. And I've realized their skin on their bodies looks amazing in front of the camera and with the lighting. Why is that not happening on their skin and their faces? And one-on-one 
turned into two, turned into 100. And before I knew it, I was creating my own little glass pots of product with, that I'd use for Victoria's Secret. Everybody went crazy. I had all the models going, oh my God, what is this? What is this? And how do I get my hands on it? How do I get my hands? Yeah. Give us some context. When was this? What year was this? Uh, that would have been, um, oh my God, I'm 68 now. My brand's been up for, I think, 13 or 14 years. Well, I was doing Victoria's Secret for a long, long time, but I started working on ingredients probably in my 50s. Okay. Maybe even my late 40s, I started playing around and just trying things where I, you know, got it together to, to start putting together a brand. I thought, I got to do something with There's too many girls going, this could really do well. <laughs> yeah, you're like, maybe I should be listening. Okay, so take us from mixing some ingredients in a pot knowing that it's working because you had access to these models and you were seeing benefits of it to mm -hmm. actually putting this in a consumer's hand. Like everything from you got to get a label, you got to get a license, you got to find somebody else who will sell it, or maybe you were selling it yourself. Like take us through that process. Because as you know, our listener is trying to figure out what's next for her. And to hear a story of somebody who launched something in her late 40s, early 50s, is not a story that we hear a lot of, which is why we have this podcast. So we <laughs> want to get the nitty gritty. Like, how did you go from, I've got something here, to actually putting it out in the market? Okay, so my idea, what I was doing, think of it as as making a cake or something. Mm -hmm. And did I know the measurements, how that's done in the cosmetic industry? Hell no. <laughs> I was like just mixing it together and doing things. But I had a friend in Canada who worked for a paint factory. She was a chemist. So I told her what I was doing, and she helped me create the formulas in the sense of percentages. Because I had no concept of percentages. Sure. I, you know, I failed math in school, to be perfectly honest. So I had no concept of that. So she was mixing it together for me. And we were going back and forth between New York and, and Canada with our little concoctions on the way I wanted it made. I wanted really good ingredients like organic jojoba oil, organic coconut oil, and all these things. I really knew my raw ingredients. That is one of my strengths. And I got that because I became a raw foodist for years where I was only eating raw food. Wow. I cheat sometimes. I'd be lying if I say it's 100% raw. But, but and from that concept, I learned about you know destroying ingredients from Mother Earth with heat. And the cosmetic industry loves to heat things up. So I took that whole concept and put it into my early, early uh, little pots of color, which I still have to this day. From there, I realized, okay, everybody's liking this. I got to put this out. I had a very hard time finding a lab. Nobody wanted to do it because labs don't really like to use somebody's starting formula. And they said, well, you know, it can't be done organically. Color cannot be done organically. Right now, the big thing is the mineral colors. You sure. know, the mineral powder yeah. brands that were out? I hated them. I detested them. On a photo shoot, I would see how dry that was on the skin. Mm. And I thought, this isn't organic. This is a mineral. This is not grown organically. And uh, I finally found a lab that would take on the challenge. It was a young girl that worked in there. Actually, two young girls. One was a chemist. One was a salesperson. They created my first batch, <laughs> my first round of the colors for me and did exactly what I wanted. They actually listened to, to my input. And, you know, when I, when I first had it, I go, okay, now I've got these jars, 1,500 of each color. I had to buy 1,500. I had no, wow. nowhere to take them to. You know, and I'm like, oh my God, now what? And then the lab closed down. 
The lab closed down and the girl phoned me. I'll never forget. I was doing French Vogue in, in Paris. And she said, Rosemary, the lab is going to be closed down. We got to get your stuff that was just made out of that lab. I'm in Paris. I can't do anything. She quickly called in a, a, a moving truck, put it in cold storage for me. And that girl to this day is still working for me. Oh, my Elaine gosh. Sack. Yes, she's still what working for me. What a great story. And then from there... We started selling from her house. And one day she calls, I get a phone call. She's going, <laughs> she was totally freaking out. I go, Elaine, calm down. What's wrong? What's wrong? And she goes, the house is on fire. Oh my gosh. There was an electrical fire in the garage where we had, we just brought in all these POP <laughs> displays so that we could put them in the store. This is what I always like to tell people. Everything sounds great when you start a brand and you think everything's going to be be just flowing with ease sure. because you've got this great idea. Let me tell you, things go wrong. And in our case, a lot of things went wrong. So anyway, I'll never forget the one thing, though. We just ordered like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of Manuka honey from New uh-huh. Zealand. All of it was gone in the fire. And the firemen all said, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful smelling fire we've ever smelled. What is that? And we go, that's Manuka honey. <laughs> And it's funny because we couldn't get it again because they had a huge outbreak on on some kind of mold that was on all the bees. Mm. And so we never got it again. So all that beautiful Manuka honey, because I want the purest, almost edible product that you could possibly put on your face, and all the Manuka honey was gone. We got organic again, but, you know, we had to do quite a big search for getting just the right kind that we wanted. So the house being on fire burned the 1,500 packages that you had or that first batch? Well, the first batch, most of it was moved into her house because it was going to be the new office. Thank God the whole batch wasn't moved in because it would have been too heavy because it's all in glass pots. So a little bit was taken out at a time. Okay. But what did happen is the POP displays, you know, the the acrylic POP on the counters that you see, those were all burned. So we had to order those all, all again. So we had to hold back with what we were doing. And we were lucky because a lot of the stores that, that we were starting to get into, you know, they didn't mind just putting it out on the counter because there wasn't a lot of stuff. You know, it wasn't a full makeup sure. brand that I put out. I put out, you know, just small amounts at the beginning. What were those? Were those cheek color? Were they um, lip color? What were they? Yes. Both? I had three... Uh, uncover-ups, all in the same packaging. That's how I could do it also, because everything in my brand was in the same little glass pot. It's the easiest way for me to do it. Sure, you could buy the pots in bulk. Exactly. So I didn't have to have a like, you know, proper packaging, like, you know, one of one of these kind of things, you yeah. know. So I had three of the uncover-ups. I had six lip to cheeks. I had uh, two Simply Cacao and Simply Vanilla lip balms. I had a luminizer. Luminizers is what made me famous. And then I had a, I think, five, four or five eye polishes. That was it. And it was just on a small little acrylic POP. So we kind of got away with not having the display unit. Wow. And I mean, you know, one hiccup is one thing. Two hiccups, you start to wonder, like, am I supposed to be doing this? But you knew that you had something. Oh, yeah. You knew that you needed to keep moving. And something, my guess is your wisdom. I mean, that's the best part of starting later in life. You know, things go wrong in life. That's just life. Yes. So just apply that to being an entrepreneur, right? Exactly. Well, the one other strong thing I tell people that, that want to be an entrepreneur, mostly women, because we're very in tune with, yeah. our, with our gut. Listen to your intuition. 
Like all those things did happen at the beginning and more things happened later on as, as we went. But I really, really listened to my gut and my intuition. It's mm. so strong. And I, it's the first thing I listen to. I don't listen to people. I listen to my, my intuition. And that's mm-hmm. what kept me going. Cause you know, a lot of people laughed at what I was doing. They go, what do you mean? You know, you put your fingers in this, you put it on your face. Yeah, you do. We had a hard time getting into stores. You know, a lot of stores weren't quite sure. What weren't they sure of? Because nobody had done something like this. It was all clean and organic in a little pot where you put your fingers in. Most of it was powders. That was what was happening at the time. Right. You know, I just was determined. And what happened is, as the old saying goes, and I'm going to say something naughty, but the old saying goes, it's who you know and who you blow. (laughs) Not that I did any of the second part. What happened is when I was in Paris and, and I got the call from Elaine saying that, you know, the, the stuff had to be taken out of the lab because it was going to be closing down. I luckily had some of my samples and I went into Colette, a store called Colette in Paris. I know it. Yeah. It was the store in the world to go to. If you were in Colette, you had it made. Well, let me tell you, I told them who I was and what I was doing. And they loved the fact that I was doing French Vogue and everything because, you know, like what I just said earlier. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they took it, they took it that day. The next day we got the order and we we told everybody we were in Colette. Let me tell you that open doors like you've never seen. I'm sure. It's interesting when brands come out, how aligning themselves with another brand can be the best thing they do. Exactly. You know, that, that one move becomes a, you know, a domino yes, exactly. effect for, for so many other things. Because the first thing people will ask you is, well, what stores are you in? Like you do anything, they want to know, well, where are you located or where are you positioned? Which is a little bit of a, you know, a chicken and egg game. I remember a time when stores would say, well, what sort of press have you gotten? Because they knew that if you got good press, then you were going to drive sales to their store. Exactly. And we live in a very different time now where more and more brands have a direct-to-consumer option, right? And so let's talk about that for a second. So you're in Colette, that opens stores to get into lots of other stores here, stateside, I assume, as well as in Europe. What then do you do in terms of, okay, it's time for us to start selling our own brand on our website? Or did you even have a website back then? We had a website that we did. We put up a very small website and um, uh, we sold off of there. I remember the first months we made um, $3,000. We were so excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how that is. And then when you get older and somebody like from a big brand, how much did you make? We made $3,000 this month. They're going to kind of just roll their eyeballs. But when you're doing sure. something that comes from your heart and soul, you're proud of what you do. Absolutely. You have a sense that that $3,000 can double and triple. It's almost like, oh, there's another spout here that we can turn the you know the exactly. faucet on and that's another revenue stream and all we need to do is keep pumping that revenue stream. So true. And more will come. So that $3,000 is more just an indicator yeah. of oh there's really something here. So how much of your business is through RMS directly and how much is through other retail outlets? Oh my God, I wish I had the, I had the, uh, the percentages for you on that. But I know we do very, very well online because we, 
you know, working very well with all of the influencers. So we yes. got them. Like when I started, we started giving out a few of my products to some of the influencers on the uh, Instagram and everything. Yeah. And that really helped. Then the models, once we had, we're on Instagram, we got, I could go to the shoots and still do the models and they'd have a picture of it and go, we love RMS Beauty, you know, Giselle and Miranda Kerr and all the Victoria's Secret sure. models. So that really helped me. Those girls did wonders for recommending, you know, their products that they use to magazines were RMS Beauty. So that helped a lot. And what I want to say there is because people are going to listen and say, well, Rosemary had access to top models. She was exposed yes. to so much. But that was your career. And you created yeah. something that leaned on your past in order to create your future. So I think for anybody listening, it might not be an exact uh, parallel, but there is something that they have done, something that they have built up some place where they spent their 10,000 hours to become experts. And now they just need to yes. capitalize on that, which is exactly what you did. You talked about your big break being Colette. What was a time, maybe aside from the fire and the lab closing, but what was, <laughs> what was a time where you just remember, I am throwing in the towel, like this is just getting too hard. Oh, so, you know, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, please, please and, be honest. You know, so many times I wanted to throw in the towel. I said, I can't do it. I'm too old for this nonsense, you know? Yeah. There is so much work. And then, you know, we'd have problems with packaging. And then we'd have problems with a formula. And then we had problems with the, with the supplier of a product that we couldn't get. Or, you know, a lab would cheat on the, the quality of an ingredient. And I knew right away because I knew exactly how it should smell. I knew exactly how it should look and, and the texture of it. I really knew my raw ingredients. That's another thing that's so important is when you do create something, don't just depend on a lab. You have to know what you're doing because mm. they'll put in cheap stuff in order to line their pocket more. So you've got to really be on the ball and make sure that you're uh, checking in on it. Sure. At the end of the day, you can't say to a customer, sorry, it's the lab's fault. It's it's your fault. It's your brand that they bought. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was a huge stickler on, on ingredients. You know, I drove the labs crazy where we were supplying actually a lot of our ingredients to the lab. We would take the label off where it was coming from because we didn't want them using it for other people sure. or, you know, taking advantage of our supplier. Because a lot of times it's harder to get, not so much now, but this was at the beginning, it was harder to get, you know, really good cold centrifuged coconut oil or a really good quality um, jojoba oil that was thick and very yellow rather than being, you know, soft, soft yellow. It's yeah. like, oh, that's, you know, it looks like almost like it's water. Yeah. I got very heavy into the aspect of the ingredients. It was really my thing. So you... You went down that trail when I asked about throwing in the towel. Was it a lot of it based on kind of going back and forth with the lab? Well, put it this way. I'm, I'm kind of ballsy, and I fired quite a few labs. I didn't care who they were, how big they were. It just wasn't for us. Right. And I don't get affected by the who's who. Hmm. We did find some smaller labs that, that we still work with to this day that are doing a great job for us. Also, you have like little problems in-house too. Of course. There's always that, you know, think about it. We're doing a cosmetic brand. So everybody working for us is going to be a female. So we got all these hormones going sometimes. And, you know, there were there were challenges too there. And I was very, very lucky that I did have a partner like Elaine, that, that her and I were basically so enmeshed together in our thinking and our way of approaching things. And she was the business aspect of it. Mm. And I was the creative because I'm terrible at business. 
you know, I'm good at saying no and I'm standing up for myself. But when it comes to actually doing business, thank God I had somebody that was really tightly enmeshed with me that, that we, we could pull this off together. And she she didn't know the creative as well as I do, wasn't yeah. a makeup artist. So, you know, there was a, an equal amount of respect between the two of us. I'm going to push back a little bit. I think you're good at business. Okay, go for it. I think you're good at business because I hear women say this all the time that, well, I'm good at the creative. I understand what the consumer wants. I understand kind of how to market to them. I understand what the product should be. That's business. That's business. So what you're saying is have somebody that fills in the gaps and Elaine filled in your gaps. Perhaps she's good at sales or numbers, or accounting. Numbers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it takes the combination to be business. Yes. An accountant just can't be a business just because they're good at the numbers. So you are good at business. You are good at business. I remember being asked once, you know, how do you manage to pull this off? And I said, well, one thing you don't, you don't need employees. Now, think about that carefully. You don't need employees. What you need is disciples. Mm. And people just kind of think, what do you mean? They interpret that as me being God. I don't mean that at all. Mm. Disciples are the ones that hang in there, the ones that stay, the ones that have the same drive as you, the same ambition, and they want to see results also. These are these people, they're disciples. They're not just employees. Employees are a dime a dozen. They'll come, they'll collect their paycheck, they'll move on to the next job if someone offers them the, you know, a better dime, whatever. And uh I always say I wanted disciples in my company. I wanted people that that understood the the clean concept of of cosmetics and uh, understand the direction I'm going in. That's exactly it. I think that's the the sort of secret sauce of what you just said. They're not disciples of you. Yes. They're disciples of the vision. Exactly. You convinced them. You showed them. You uh, exposed them to your vision. And they believed in that vision. They came alongside that vision. They too saw an opportunity there. And that's very different than I'm making them my disciples. It's I'm making them disciples of the vision. So you too, in that scenario, are a disciple of the vision, right? Exactly. hundred percent. Totally. Well put. I understand why people (laughs) would say, well, what do you mean? But actually it's brilliant what you're saying. And it makes a lot of sense. Like how do you get people to come alongside you who really believe in the mission of what you're Mm -hmm. doing. I know that's 100% true for me, that I have wonderful people who've come around the vision and the mission of what we're trying to do. And if they like me, that's a a bonus. That's a bonus, right? Yeah, that's a bonus. (laughs) But really, it's about about coming alongside the vision. I love that you had uh, and have an Elaine. Thank you for sharing that with us. Sometimes founders don't tell us because they want to get all that credit. But the reality is we all need those people who fill in the gaps. You do. And it frees us up as founders. It freed you up to go be your best creative, most innovative self, right? Because that's really yep. what you had to offer. You and, and you had to lead that vision. So thank you for telling us that. I think that's that's huge. So we know that you wanted to throw in the towel a ton of times, <laughs> but you didn't. What kept you coming back? I'm very competitive. Mm. I like to kind of win. And at the beginning, what was happening is I put out my brand and I'm still doing makeup and doing the models. And I wasn't paying a lot of attention to how things were going Mm -hmm. because I wasn't 
aiming to become a big Estee Lauder or anything. That is not in my vision at all. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to put out a clean, healthy brand for people, have people accept it and, and want to use it. That is enough for me. And then what happened is I realized I'm not paying much attention to, to it. Like I'm putting out a few things here and there. I'm not really putting like as much as I should. And I realized, gee, there's a lot of brands coming up on my skirt tails here. For a while, I didn't mind. And then all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? I want to kick back in because I got tired of traveling with the models. You know, it got uh-huh. to the point where, okay, Rosemary, you're getting, you're in your 60s now. The girls love you, but at the same time, I've got to move on. And I thought, you know, I'm going to put more energy back into my brand. And I stopped doing makeup because I was financing my whole brand this whole time, except for maybe a few years ago or a year and a half ago, I, I got an investor finally. Okay, so give us that timeline. Okay. This is brilliant. This is this is the things people don't tell us that I'm so glad you're telling <laughs> us. So the whole time that you're running, so for 13 years now, you're running RMS and you're staying in the business. You have a job, essentially. You're being hired to go out and yeah. continue to do makeup. Elaine is sort of... Holding down the fort, sounds like. Holding down the fort. Holding down the fort. (laughs) And then at some point in the very recent past, like a year ago, I think you said, so after COVID, you decide, you know what, I'm going to focus 100% on RMS and I'm going to take myself out of the job market, so to speak. And I'm not going to finance this alone. I'm going to bring in an investor. This is so important for people to hear that you were doing this for years and years before you brought on finance. We were very fortunate. We were actually making money. Hmm. And one of the reasons we were making money is because we did things carefully. Yeah. We didn't, you know, I didn't have to have this big, huge, fancy office building in New York City. We ended up running out of Charleston, where, where the lab, the original lab was, where Lane still is. It's still running out of Charleston. That was the most brilliant thing I could have ever done. Get out of the big cities. Go for cheaper rent for your, your spaces. Yeah. If I would have been in New York, I would be long gone by now, or I would have had to get an investor, and I probably wouldn't have owned the brand anymore. But I wanted to own my brand. I wanted to, to make something of it. So I just kept working with the models. And I was doing really big jobs of Giselle and things like that. So sure. I was raking in really good money. Sure. And then the brand was making money. And then basically COVID hit. And that's when I realized how ill-prepared we were for something like that. You know, I'm going to be honest. Our sales weren't very well over that time. Sure. Who's wearing makeup? There's no makeup jobs getting done. And, you know, everybody kind of just backed off a little. And, uh, you know, our sales weren't very well because mostly like we were in Japan doing very, very well in Japan. And Japan, they don't really order online. Hmm. They, they go into stores there and they closed off everything. So the Japanese market just went boom. Yeah. And that's when I realized, man, we should, you know, start looking into maybe getting an investor to help me out because I was going to have no money left. You know, I'd saved up a big hunk of money, but it was slowly going south. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, we started looking for for an investor, and I was always scared of getting an investor because I'm known for having interviews where I'm cutting investors down and everything, and still to this day, I still believe what I did at the beginning was right. I didn't want an investor. I didn't want someone telling me what to do. I didn't want to lose control over my brand because I knew that they would change it to way, this is the way we've done it at, uh, you know, da-da-da-da-da for all these years. That I couldn't bear to have happen. So um, I was very, very lucky. I'm going to tell you a little story just just for fun. Please. I do astrology. My sister's a very well-known psychic in Canada. 
And um, it's funny because she said to me a long time ago, I said, I wonder who's going to buy my brand. I thought maybe Estee Lauder or something. And she said, no, David Olson is going to. And I go, what? David Olson was my super good friend from Net-A-Porter. I think he was the president or vice president of beauty. And him and I were like this. Uh-huh. And he went to a big, huge, you know, the big firms that, with yeah. all the money. Yeah. And so he was coming around again. She said, that's going to be the one. And I thought, no way. He's my friend. No way in a million years. Anyway, I did get him as my investor wow. with the group that he was working for called Highlander. And they're now my new investors. So I'm, I'm part owner with them. They're majority. But it is going so well. We're so happy. They're paying for billboards. Did I have billboards back in the day? Sure. Hell no. They're paying for advertising. Did I have that? Hell no. <laughs> I didn't have any of that. But you know what you have? And I'm going to go back to something that you said, because I, I too used to come from this, don't take on investors, hold on to your company. And I think yeah. there's a time and a place for that. But after the amount of time you had spent in the industry, building up the brand, becoming synonymous with the brand, people knew who Rosemary was, not just the models and people behind the scene, but you were part of the brand. You had built up so much social equity that when it came time to bring in an investor, you could kind of call some of your shots versus had you come when you walked out of the lab with that first batch and said, I need some money, you would have had much less of that company, right? They would have said, keep mixing in the lab. We don't need to see your face. No one needs to know who you are. (laughs) And we're just going to take it from here. But what you did in that period of time was you interlinked yourself so much to the brand that an investor can't push you out, right? Mm. The other thing I want people to hear is, Investors aren't necessarily the big bad guy. Investors are, and we need to get more and more women into this conversation as investors, but if they too are a disciple of the vision, Mm -hmm. what they want to do is pump this up so that it can impact more people. When more people are impacted by whatever your idea or your mission is, Sure, the bottom line is strengthened too. So it's incumbent on you as the founder to find a partner who believes in the vision and not just the bottom line. And this, the mm-hmm. fact that you had this relationship with somebody was really meaningful because he believed in you. He saw something mm-hmm. in you. He knew, to, to go back and use your own terms, that you're the boss and that you're competitive and you're tough, right? You fired famous labs. You didn't care. You were about the mission. Yeah. That's part of what those people are investing in. So you found somebody who, who believed that alongside you. I love this story. I (laughs) love this story. No, this is so great. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? (laughs) Sweetheart, I never even wanted to be a makeup artist. I fell into that. Yeah. I fell into that. And I just realized I was good at it. It was quick, fast money. I could go in there and boom, 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 boom. I just had an eye for it. I just get it. And I think it was a complete universal energy pushing me in that direction. Yeah. Actually, what I wanted to be was a designer, but, you know, it's kind of close. Yeah. And, you know, I just kept being pushed and and, and I just kept getting jobs too. Like I had no chance of even saying no because I kept getting all these good jobs. And I had a really good agent in New York that was putting me up for all this big stuff. And I'm realizing, holy cow, man, like I'm in this position now where do I really know what I'm doing as a makeup artist? No, I just have an eye I'm creative with my hands and I just would do what was coming out of my soul. 
I never went to school. I never assisted anybody. I just made it up and just threw myself out there. And, um, and I'm a good talker. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, not everybody thinks so. Some of the moments I'm really good. Other times I'm like, that was a little off, but whatever. I just kept going out there. And then when I saw that this brand was really taking off and it was something new, mm-hmm. that really inspired me because I'm an Aquarian. I like to do things that are different. I don't go with the norm. So if the norm is thrown at me, I like to fight. I like to say no. And that stimulates me. Mm-hmm. I just kept throwing around my rebelliousness. And, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't, but obviously it's still working. It's still working. You were fighting in the end for the consumer. Yeah. Your rebelliousness was tethered to something. Yes, exactly. It wasn't about me. Yeah. I'm going about- to put out a good product to go back to your kind of original story of I was putting chemicals on people and on myself. And I knew that wasn't a good thing. What's something that you think launching your business in midlife really gave you, it afforded you versus had you launched this in your 20s or 30s? That's a very good question because if I were to think back now at the age I am and try to do then what I'm doing now, it probably would have been a huge flop. I remember actually in Vancouver going to one of our big department stores and there was a brand out back then. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a so-called clean brand. It was there literally for two weeks. It didn't sound, it was gone. Nobody talked about that aspect of the beauty industry. I think I probably wouldn't have done well back then. And so you think a lot of it was due to timing in the market? I think it's all about timing. And I think my timing was was pretty good because I was one of the first pioneers to sure. really come out with a concept and, and push it as heavy as I did. Because I also did a website called beautytruth.com in 2004, talking about some of the myths about the industry and, and the chemicals and sunscreens. And I haven't looked at it since 2004, but it would be kind of interesting for me to actually go yeah. back and look what I had yeah. said on there back in the day. But I remember... As a makeup artist, people said, oh, my God, you know, did you see that site she wrote about the beauty industry? And, you know, we can't hire her to do makeup. This is one of the cosmetic companies when, when I was up for a huge job, huge campaign, actually. And they said, we can't hire her. Did you read her website? So you're talking about the timing of the market. Yeah. But I'm just so curious for women who are starting later in life. I happen to believe it's a great time to start something. It is a great time. Tell me why. So this is actually a really good time in life for me to have started this because I know everything about facial structure and about skin and how to handle challenged eyelashes because I've had the experience and working, you know, even with the dancers at the early part of my career, I worked with a lot of different kind of faces because they weren't models. I learned very quickly what looks good and what doesn't look good because I had the eye that could actually make that judgment very accurately. You know, being a raw foodist and being brought up so healthy with the food, I knew exactly what I wanted in my products ingredient-wise, plus studying, you know, what's going on in the industry in the sense of, of chemicals and looking at some of the scrutiny that's upon some of these chemicals from the uh, scientific community, things like that. I know what I want in my product. I know what I want to say. And you know how to to fight for what you want. I mean, that's been a theme in this conversation, whether it's firing the lab, whether it's hanging in there through two early catastrophes that would have caused somebody to say, oh, never mind. You you knew what you wanted. And so I think that sort of resilience. I'm kind of glad that all those bad things happen because it really makes you grow. It makes you really think fast. Okay, how am I going to cover this? Because once we started getting bigger... 
You're in too deep to just throw in the towel. Yeah. You've got the stores you have to worry about. You've got your consumers that love you. And uh, you just have to, you can't just throw in the towel. You've got employees that you have to take care of. Yeah. yeah. I keep all of that stuff in, in the back of my head. It's not just about me. Well, I don't want to do it anymore. That's not my thing. I, I, I really consider my employees and, and the stores. And, you know, like I said, it matters. It does matter. And that's, that's why you've been able to have the longevity that you've had in the business, in the clean mm. space in particular, which is a you know, ever uh, evolving and even more crowded space than when you started. And so you've got you've oh, yeah. to believe in that. What has launching RMS, growing RMS, what has this entrepreneurial endeavor taught you about Rosemary? Well, I'm learning to be a little more calmer than I used to be because I used to be a little out of control back in the day. Um, but what it's really taught me, I have to be honest with this, is it taught me to be happier that I could do a product that had a meaning to people mm -hmm. and for them to embrace it, accept it for what it is, that makes me more happy and it makes me more content within myself knowing that I have done something very valuable for women. Yeah. Even guys wear my products. I'm throwing everybody in there, you know, that wants to wear my product. That makes me feel really whole and it feels like I've accomplished something in my life that had meaning. Hmm. I have to ask you, there's a lot of trending terminology, anti-aging versus pro-aging. What do you think about this kind of language and how does it actually impact the way midlife women see themselves? How does it impact the way the industry responds to us? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's aging just thinking about anti-aging. You know, all that <laughs> yeah. stress that comes with that word, the word anti think about it. It's like, it's negative. And I, I think that people need to stop worrying. And, you know, pro-aging, it's like, well, pro sounds like you're like a, a construction worker with all your pro gear that you're lugging around. It's like, I don't like that word either. Mm. Just be you, just age with grace and beauty. I think it's doing damage. You don't see guys freaking out about this. Why is it the women are losing their, their minds on anti-aging and using all these things? And what really makes me sad about all this is they're overdoing all these anti-aging things that are full of nanoparticles and who knows what the hell is in these things. I don't think it's good. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be very conceited here for a minute. Is If you look at my skin, I've never used a skincare on my skin. Even as a kid, I wouldn't use soap. I used face cloths and water. And then when I could wear eyeliner, I would take it off with olive oil. And when I got in, a little bit later in life, like in my 20s, I started taking off with coconut oil. I've done that my whole life. And my skin for 68 years old is unbelievable because I've never used anything. Yeah. So I'm a perfect example of... God, you only use coconut oil and oils? I've done nothing to my skin. So there is something to be said for going with the tried and true, listening to Mother Nature. And uh, hey, that's my philosophy. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, some people are going to hate me for that. But, you know, I'm a firm believer. You don't need all that stuff. And I love oil, by the way. Yeah. No, um, thank you for sharing that. I think it's from somebody who's been in the industry, it's good to get your your insight into that. Well, thank you for, for sharing your story. Thank you for being so transparent. I so very much appreciate it. But you're not off the hook yet. Please share a hack with us. And I'm going to say a beauty hack in this case because we want to take advantage of your expertise. But something that you think is um, a great tip for our 40-plus listener. 
Okay, so what you want to do, what I'm seeing happening on Instagram, and I'm a talker, sorry, I'm a little long-winded, no, but I, I see it. the blush going too low. Uh-huh. And I remember working with Giselle, and I remember when I first started working with her, she said to me one day, Rosie, you, you gave me my puppy dog look. And I said, what are you talking about? So what you've got to do is you try not to put your blush below the nostrils down in here. It uh-huh. pulls the face down. As you age, you want to lift the face. Uh-huh. You want to lift that blush up and take it right up. <laughs> like I have bags. I take my blush right up to here because it softens the look of the bag also because you don't have that white, you know, bulbous skin here that you usually have between the blush and the bag. So you want to fill that up with color right up to the bag, but not in the bag. And you want to make sure it doesn't come down in this territory because it accents frown lines and it pulls the face down. As we get older, our faces tend to go down. You want to lift that blush up the higher, the better. Cross my heart. Do it on one side wrong and do it the right on the other side the way I'm saying and you're going to be like, holy moly. Okay. I'm never going to have low blush again. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great tip. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And then what are you listening to these days? Well, I have very eclectic taste in music. I'm, you know, listening to like, um, and the next minute I'm like, yeah, you know, headbanging <laughs> music. And I'm not really a, a, a person who has a favorite band per mm-hmm. se. I have favorite songs and say favorite genres where I like a band from that genre and I only like these two songs. Uh-huh. So I have a whole um, iPod just of my favorite songs in the whole world. That's it. Nothing else is allowed on there that I don't like that I don't gravitate towards. I want to get my hands on that list. That would be fun. (laughs) And what's a piece of advice that you want to give uh, a woman, perhaps you have given, who come to you and say, oh my gosh, Rosemary, you're my hero. You started something in midlife um, and it hasn't been easy, but you're doing it. I don't think I can. What do you want to say to her? I'm going to say, go with your gut and go with what you you know Mm -hmm. and what you feel safe with. And take it from there. Don't just jump onto something because it's trendy and groovy because mm-hmm. you're going to get lost because there's people that are that will know that trendy and groovy better than you do. Do the things that you feel that the most strength with and what's really coming from your heart and your gut and your intuition because you've got to love what you do. Because yeah. if you don't love what you do, the energy of sales and all that stuff isn't going to come to you. Yeah. You have to love what you do. I agree. If you could go back to the 25-year-old Rosemary and tell her something about midlife, what would you say to her? Oh, I have something to say, and I'm going to say this to every single girl. How often do we look in the mirror and we go, oh, I'm ugly. Oh, my lips aren't big enough. Oh, my eyes aren't big enough or almond-shaped enough, whatever. And then you look at a picture of yourself a few years later, and you go, oh, my God, was I ever hot? Actually, yeah. oh my God, I was actually pretty when I was younger. Yeah. Stop beating yourself up. Oh my God. To this day, like I think right now I'm like, okay, I'm getting really wrinkly in here a little. And I know when I have a picture, when I'm going to be like 80, I'm going to look back and go, what an idiot I was. Look at, I was actually looking really good. So just remember, you do look good. We've been so brainwashed and indoctrinated to think that we have to be perfect. It's Bullshit. Yeah. That's what it is. You look good. Play on the features that are your best features and just stop beating yourself up because everybody's pretty in their own way. Yeah. And of course, Rosemary, we have to ask you this question. What has launching and growing RMS done to liberate you? It's made me more confident in myself because I think when I was younger, I thought, oh, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And now that I've actually done something... It's made me much more confident, Mm. and I don't beat myself up as much. 
Yeah. When you're going through the phases of it, sometimes it really doesn't register. Like someone said to me the other day, do you realize how, how well known your brand is and how good it is? And I'm like, God, actually, no, I don't because I'm so busy. So now I kind of, like I said, I knock myself on the head and think, Rosemary, you need a little wake up call here. You're doing really good stuff. And I go, okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you have those, those <laughs> moments, those wake up call moments. Well, Rosemary, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. You have been a delight. And I'm so excited for our listeners to, to get an opportunity to spend this 45, 50 minutes with you. Thank you for joining us. Rosemary, you were kind enough to offer our listeners a little gift. Do you want to share that with them? Yes. <laughs> I want to give all of you for listening a little a little present, and that is 20% off on the whole RMS Beauty website. And the code you would put in is LibertyRoad20. And that's 20% off everything on the website. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for having me. I had the best time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for hanging out with us for this episode. And we will see you guys next week. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 